Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi everyone, good to be back on. I'm Jamie Smith, um, and if for some reason you want more of my fire takes, you can get them on Twitter at JamieSmithSport. I'm here to talk about Burnley. Hello everyone, I'm John McKenzie. I am a Leeds United coverer, and you can find my stuff at All Stats Aren't We on Twitter. Thanks for having me back on, Kev. I'm Steve McGookin. I'm a Spurs fan from Belfast, and I used to be the chairman of the New York Spurs Supporters Club. And you can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Always a pleasure. Uh, we'll start off with something that was not particularly pleasing to me, or Steve, probably either, though, which is West Ham beating Tottenham. Uh, they are now top of the London table, if you will, better than all the other London clubs at present. It's currently sitting in fourth. This is after the start of their season was pretty tumultuous. David Moyes' job was heavily under threat for a while there. Uh, you had People like Mark Noble and other players slating the club publicly for letting Grady Diangana go to West Brom. I'm just curious from you guys, now that they're sitting in fourth, how seriously are you starting to take them as contenders for a Champions League spot? I think pretty seriously. I think um, we've spoken on the show before, but if there's going to be any sort of shocks in terms of a surprise title winner, that's probably not going to happen. Um, or Champions League qualifiers, it's probably going to be this season where everything's so up in the air. West Ham obviously have an advantage over most of the other teams up there and that they don't have European football this season, so their schedule has been a lot lighter. And particularly now where the Europa League games are starting to catch up with um, Spurs and Arsenal, as it was still in there, the Champions League's back, so there's going to be two games a week, three games a week even for, for teams that are in the Champions League. West Ham have got a real advantage. Um, and I think it's a real vindication of, of David Moyes. And if you just give me 30 seconds, I was right on this. It doesn't happen very <laughs> often. I, I, I was right. When they appointed Moyes for the second time, I said, and I quote, he will be fine. Um, <laughs> and then last November, I tweeted, David Moyes equals good manager. So Ooh. they are the receipts. I, I was correct. Are those the <laughs> spicy takes that you said to find on your Twitter? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So if you want more of those, you know where to find them. Um, yeah, I think West Ham look a good team now. I think for a few years, they've been one of these clubs, and most teams would probably say this, but they oh, you know what? They're a couple of players away. Like, there's so many teams in the league <laughs> that you look at them and go, yeah, if they had a couple more good players. And <laughs> West Ham have got those couple more good players now. Thomas Suchek, excellent midfielder, the right-back Sufal, Another excellent player, Jesse Lingard's come in with something to prove. He's probably been the most informed player in the league for the last couple of weeks. So I think it's a really good time to be a West Ham fan. Um, 
other than that they can't go and watch the team. But I actually think West Ham are one of the rare teams where it's been beneficial mm. because the London Stadium is, A, so bad for watching football. There's never mm. really an atmosphere anyway. Yeah. And West Ham fans are so demanding. Um, I don't think it's been it's been beneficial for them to play at home a lot in the last couple of years. I, I remember one of the games we played there where a fan got on the pitch and Ashley Barnes had to tackle him and it was absolute chaos. And this is the sort of thing that happens at West Ham games. Yeah. So I think maybe they've thrived in front of the, the cavernous empty stadium. Um, and it, it might have been a, a good thing for them overall because they play some good stuff, West Ham, but they are quite direct, rudimentary, like they get the ball forward quickly, they're quite physical, big, strong. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, but not necessarily playing the West Ham way to get into the top four. But yeah, I think Moise has done an absolutely fantastic job. And like you say, at the start of the season, people were talking about them having a difficult season. So all credit to Moise and the way he's brought on some of those players like Mikhail Antonio, massive credit to him. I think there's also um, maybe a tactical element to it as well. You, you, it's, it's interesting hearing you talking about the impact of, of post-pandemic on football and the Premier League in particular. But I, I think as well, clubs who who play fairly solid um, football, as as Moises West Ham do, I think have certainly at the beginning of this season did, did profit from that. And it's it's only been recently when Manchester City have got back up and running um that they've just started running away with it so i think they've 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 potentially benefited from from just having a really you know solid tactics where you know they're going to they're going to defend well they they've got players who are good on the break they've got players like ben rama jared bowen um mikhail antonio as well and you mentioned jesse lingard as well um i think this all suits suits west ham as well so i'm i'm not surprised to see them doing well and yeah in answer to your question they're certainly going to be uh, pushing for for that Champions League spot, and I wouldn't be surprised if they got it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I mean, they're certainly they're certainly on a roll at the moment, and I, I think if you assume that City are are on a glide path to the title now, I mean, it it really is theirs to lose. Then the fight for those next three spots is going to be great to watch over the over the next few weeks. West Ham obviously have to hold off both Everton and Liverpool if if Liverpool are able to turn things around, as well as Chelsea, who are still growing into, I think, what, what Thomas Tuchel brings them. Um, I, I think it's going to come down to how the, how the top six or so do against each other. I mean, we're almost past that point where teams can bank points against uh, against lower teams. They're going to have to win it against against each other and, and and Kev I mean you watched our game today I actually just listened to it on the radio rather than watching mm. uh, and and even even without seeing yeah it was probably a bad, better um, solution but even even without seeing it you could tell how well organized Moyes has has got them playing now and how increasingly frustrated he made that, that he made us as the game went on it was almost like you know the, the the harder we were trying the less confidence we seemed to have in ourselves so was, what i was struck by also was the real contrast particularly in how the two defenses stood up uh and if you think back to that that 10 minutes or so that suchak was was off the field getting treatment <clears throat> i mean we um we maybe had three or four forward movements in that time and we we're totally unable to break them down um, so I think organization is the key, and he's definitely got them 
Um, he's got them with with a self belief and uh, and that organization that that I think is something that they they have. I mean, bringing Lingard in was definitely a good move, and they sound like they're actually playing for each other now. Um, but but I think you know it's going to come down to um, and and that was a very good point Jamie made actually about uh, the lack of European uh, competition and and the effect that that's going to have. But I think if you if you ask me now for how the, the top four was going to finish, I would I'd have to say it would be uh, uh, City, United, Leicester, and Chelsea. Interesting. Yeah, I think uh, a really interesting thing that's happened at West Ham is I think they used to buy, air quotes, better players, but they just never quite fit. And so signing the likes of like Suchek and, and Sufal, you guys have mentioned, um, Jared Bowen as well from Hull, yeah. I think they, they brought in players that were more willing to buy in rather than like stars that were taking, I don't want to say a step down, but like Seb Haller or Pablo Fornals were like Champions League quality players that were just at West Ham. And I feel like they never really bought into what was happening there as much as the, this like newer uh, batch of players that they brought in. I think it helped a lot really quickly um, try to cement what they're trying to do. And yeah, Jamie, this might not be what, what the fans... Uh, imagine if they close their eyes and they think about how West Ham play, but it's certainly been effective, and I'm sure none of them will be complaining too much if they do ma- yeah, manage right. to steal and a Champions League spot. Just jump back in on the signings. One one player we haven't mentioned is Craig Dawson, yeah. who has arguably been the signing of the season. I think if you ask West Ham fans what they thought about the club signing Craig Dawson, you'd probably get a load of swear words in response. This is Craig <laughs> Dawson, who what fans thought wasn't good enough to play for them last season. And he's now helping West Ham to keep clean sheets regularly. He's always been a threat from set pieces, scores the odd goal. He's been extremely solid. So I think you're absolutely right that the signings now fit the plan. West Ham have clearly given Moyes a bit more trust second time around, having binned him off probably too early the first time around. Moyes has clearly got control of that club now, and I think they're reaping the rewards of that. Yeah, I think it's an excellent point. And yeah, when when the... Plan for the club lines up with the kind of signings that you're making. Naturally, it's going to be more successful than yeah, just signing the best player that's available for the most money and then just trying to find a way to fit them in. Like I don't think there's anything more uh, perfect of an analogy for what I'm talking about than they sold Seb Haller to Ajax and brought in Jesse Lingard, who has been better for them. Like that's mm-hmm. like literally what like Seb Haller came in with so much promise. Uh, from I think it was Eintracht Frankfurt, if memory serves, um, and then nah, it just didn't work over two-ish years, and then they were like, we'll sign Jesse Lingard, who hasn't played a meaningful match in like two years, and then all of a sudden he's like, what, multiple goals and multiple assists over the last two or three weeks, so yeah, it's, it's uh, to quote the A-team, they love it when a plan comes together. Um, <laughs> the other side of that match, of course, was Tottenham losing yet again. Um, not particularly exciting for me, but this also comes off of the back of a pretty controversial comment that he made midweek, which was that coaches are only as good as the players make us. Basically, there's too much emphasis put on what a manager is doing. It's really just, are the players playing well or not? And if they're playing well, the coach gets praised. If they're not playing well, then you know you start talking about who's on the hot seat and, and which manager will be sacked next. So I was just curious to hear from you guys how much you think an impact how much you think a manager really impacts the individual performances or, or team performances at a club? I think it's a, a really interesting debate. First of all, I think it's a very, very Mourinho thing to say. <laughs> yes. Right? Like, think things are going a bit wrong. Um, yeah. I'll say something a bit enigmatic that essentially says, 
my players are too crap for me to be able to coach them. Please can I have some better players. That's that's essential. That's that's the subtext of what Mourinho's saying there. Um, and I think there's probably a germ of a point there. Yeah, um, Term, Jamie, more than a germ. <laughs> well, yeah, I think if you look at probably the team's first put out today, there's probably three or four players who've really got no right to be in a Spurs team if they're going to be top four contenders. I don't think there's any point naming names. You know no. where they are. Um, but, yeah, I think the best coaches do improve players, though. And I was I was trying to think of a real Mourinho success story, a player who was maybe bobbing along and then Mourinho was in charge of him and he turned them into a well-beer. And I couldn't think of one. I just couldn't think of one. Maybe that's just me and... The other two lads will have like long lists, but I couldn't think of a player that you would think a big part of their development was Jose Mourinho being their manager. Um, I don't really like the term checkbook manager because all managers like to spend money. No manager would ever say, I don't want to spend £100 million on players. But that's essentially what Mourinho's been throughout his career. He's had a lot of money ever since he proved himself at Porto, announced himself as the next big, the next big thing. He came into Chelsea, had all the money in the world, essentially, to spend. And that's been the case at almost every other club he's been at, probably until he's turned up at Spurs this time. Um, so I think it's interesting. I think some managers, their strength is improving certain types of player. So I was thinking about Burnley and Dyche, and the players that I think he's improved are pretty much uniformly defenders. Um, Dyche of course, was a centre-back himself. So he knows that position inside out. Um, most of our success stories, players-wise, in the Daesh era have been defenders. You think of players like Kieran Trippier, who came in unproven, really, and was on the fringes of being an England international when he left the club. He's since gone on and played at World Cup for England. Michael Keane, who was quite raw, got polished up. He's now starring in the Merseyside derby for for Everton and potentially going to play for England at the Euros. Uh, the players that are still here, James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee, two of the most solid centre-backs in, in the Premier League. Um, Tarkovsky in particular, arguably, should have been bought by a bigger club. So I think Daesh has certainly got form for, for improving defenders. Um, and I, th- I think it's... Um, to bring it back to Mourinho, which was the subject, I think it's essentially him saying, if you want me to make Spurs better, you're going to have to give me better players. He's setting his stall out for the summer transfer window already. It's all politics with Mourinho. I'm madly searching for a tweet that um, I saw on the timeline the other day, which was, um, I found it actually, um, from The Independent back in November 2019. um, And the tweet reads, Jose Mourinho informed Daniel Levy of his recruitment plans, but insisted Tottenham already have one of the best squads in the league a sentiment the chairman shared, yeah. um, which I think is a far a far cry from from what he's saying now. Now we know that a lot of what uh, what Mourinho does is, is is sort of Machiavellian, or at least he thinks it is in his head. Um, but <laughs> I think there's a there's there's a correlation really between um, I think how yes, however bad you think it, it got with Pochettino at the end of his time at the club. I think there were still germs of tactical ideas that were there that were that allowed um, Mourinho to get Spurs quite high up the table at the beginning of this season. And the longer this season's gone on, the further Spurs have fallen away from that. Um, and I guess I've, I'm, I'm a firm believer that 
managers do actually Im- improve players or good managers certainly do improve players uh, through time. And it seems to be the opposite way around. In, in the case of Mourinho at Spurs, it seems as though the team are getting worse and worse and worse. And um, I, I think for him to, to mention the, the players at this point is is just indicative of the fact that he, in, in fact, hasn't been able to improve uh, the, the players and he's just looking for excuses elsewhere. But uh, as a Leeds fan, uh, Jamie Jamie talks about um, Sean Dyche as a Leeds fan. I'm going to talk about Marcelo Bielsa because Marcelo Bielsa has taken a squad of players who are finishing mid-table in the Championship, and he's got them playing at a level that's, I think, justified for them to be mid-table in the Premier League. And I think that's a real um, indication of, of good management. And you know, I, th- I don't think any of us would have expected players like Stuart Dallas um, or Gianni Alioski to be playing Premier League football. And, and not looking terrible and yet here we are so uh, i'm going to definitely fall on the side of you know good managers should be able to take what they've got and, and make it better and i think what we've seen from Mourinho this season is he's taken something and made it worse i was going to ask you actually john in a throwback to our bundesliga for beginners days if anyone listened to, to that shorter show uh put you on the spot as usual hmm. what do you think of the the patrick bamford thing because the last few weeks there's been a lot of talk about it Bamford's development and obviously Bielsa's been fantastic for Bamford but there's been increasing stuff about Bamford at Burnley and how it didn't work out and Bamford and Dash just didn't rub along at all so how is it that Bamford at Leeds has clicked in such a way that Bamford at Burnley didn't, Bamford at Palace didn't, Bamford at Middlesbrough didn't like there's a long list of clubs where it didn't happen for Patrick Bamford Yeah it's, it's interesting I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that Bielsa will play a player even if they're out of form, and he will play them until they come into form. Um, so obviously, uh, last season, everyone knew that, that Patrick Bamford's finishing was was way off. He, he was having the opposite of a purple patch. I don't know what that is uh, when it came to his finishing, and um, Bielsa continued to play him through that. And I think when you get to a point when you realise that your manager is just going to play you, regardless of whether or not your your finishing is on time. I mean, he was doing everything else really, really well. Um, but I think when the, the finishing dropped off, there was the worry for him that, you know, that was going to be the, the beginning of the end. But Bielsa stuck with him. And as a result of that, it seems as though there's a there's a real um, understanding between the two of them. And, and that confidence has has pushed onto onto Bamford and he's he's been absolutely brilliant in in the Premier League. I think there's also tactical reasons why Bamford's been good this season, but uh, in answer to your question, I think um I think he is just someone who has benefited from from being given that that benefit of the doubt. Um whether or not other clubs could have afforded to do that, I I don't know, uh, but it certainly worked for for us at Leeds and um I, I think Bamford's been brilliant for us pretty much every season that he's been under Bielsa I think there's there's probably a sense as well that he buys into the idea of what Bielsa's doing in a way that probably helps he's he's probably a little bit of a fanatic of of Bielsa's now and I certainly think that helps as well so um, maybe just a personality thing that he's the sort of player who is going to benefit from from having someone have that utmost confidence in him yeah, uh, thanks very much for the shout-out for Stuart Dallas, by the way, John. I think uh, it's definitely shown the, the benefit of working with a manager like Bielsa who's prepared to play him in, in a lot of different um, positions as well and, and gets mm. the best out of him. And, and as you said about Bamford being a, a, a willing disciple, I think Dallas is definitely in that, uh, in that category also. Yeah. Um, I think from from a Spurs perspective, I think the first important thing to say is, you know, much as he was adored, Pochettino wasn't God. 
Uh, Mourinho isn't God, but he would like us to think that he is. Um, and there's, I mean, no, no doubt. Obviously, he came in with a with a, a incredible record of success, one of the most effective coaches of his generation. But, but you know, after today, his win percentage at Spurs is lower than any of our managers since Juan de Ramos. Uh, and Ramos, of course, was our last manager to actually win a trophy, which, which of course, you know, Jose could still do. Uh, there was another great stat, actually. I, I just made a note of it, but I, I didn't keep the tweet um, from Opta today um, that looked at uh, Jose's points totals after 50 games at each of his clubs. Did you guys see that? Mm. And, and regardless, regardless of the trophies that, that they ended up winning, it's an interesting um, uh, pattern of, of sort of decline. Uh, goes from uh, after 50 games at Porto, he'd, he'd won 124 points, comes down through Inter, Real, 114 at Chelsea in the second spell, 95 at Man United, and 81 currently after after Oof. 50 games. Uh, and this season, you know, 36 points after 24 games, and, and we've lost five of our last six. It's not great, isn't it? So, um, you know, beyond the cliche that, that we were just talking about, you can only manage what you've got, Jose, you have to ask, uh, do we have enough quality players? How many of our players would be, would be guaranteed starters at, at any of the top four teams? Um, Jamie's point about, about uh, a coach turning a player into a world beater, I, I would argue, I think, that Ndombele is still a work in progress. That, um, but I'm not sure how much credit we can actually give Mourinho for, um, for actually bringing out the, 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 the player that we're now starting to see. Considering he wanted him out the door and Levy just told him no. Exactly. And I, I, I really don't want to endorse in any way, shape or form the, the way that he called him out and, and spoke about him that way. Because he did the same with Luke Shaw at Manchester United as well. Um, but you, but you do have to say if you look at our if you look at our team, beyond you know the the three or four or probably five uh, players that we could all probably name, there there just aren't that many um, top four quality players. But having said that, the squad the the squad that we have should certainly be certainly be capable for challenging for the top four. Uh, we should at least be able to finish sixth, and we're currently well underachieving that. So. I think the the problem is, and I don't know how much of this you can actually lay at the at the manager's door, but there is a problem with when the players you have are fundamentally inconsistent. Um, it, it's worse for Spurs when they they can show you what they can do. They can go and win six one at Old Trafford. Obviously, we're not going to win every game six one, but we should we should be able to find a way to eradicate the small errors that we don't seem to be learning from. Uh, and just to go back to you know, you know today's game, Kevin, as well. I mean, a sign of just how disorganised uh, we were today. This is the first time under Mourinho that we've conceded in the first five minutes of both halves. Uh, I mean, we've always uh, had a tendency not to switch on immediately. I mean, you know, you know, having gone to games with me, I've, yeah. I've lost count of times I've shouted "wakey, wakey, Tottenham." Uh, at a at a game, but uh, you know the game has started and we're still coming down the tunnel. Um, but but th this lack of focus, I think, has almost become like a self fulfilling prophecy, and we're, we're driven by this fundamental lack of self belief. Um, I mean, today we once again we just left it too late to show the sort of fight and 
creativity that we, we need to dominate games like that. And when we're on the back foot all too frequently, frequently there's, there's just no real confidence on our back four. But just to finish, here's the second important thing, however, and in, in, in why in my view, which is probably wrong, <laughs> uh, in my view, he's probably uh, going nowhere until his contract is up. Uh, basically, he was a, a vanity hire by Daniel Levy, and there's no buyout clause in his contract, so we'd be paying him anyway. Um, but the other reason why he's staying is, you know, realistically, and, and uh, Jamie hinted at it earlier, who could we get to replace him? I mean, there's talk recently of, of Julian Nagelsmann and, and even more recently of Brendan Rodgers, but why on earth would they take on a rebuild right now at a team that probably won't be in Europe, let alone in, in the Champions League? So mm. it worries it, it really worries me that we're, we're quickly starting to look like, um, like a backward step for any manager who has better options. So I, I just think that we're going to have to tough it out uh, at least until the summer and, and just hope that we don't completely implode. Having, having said that, of course, it's always possible that, that Jose will end up winning the Europa League and we'll, you know, build a statue to him or something. <laughs> He's going to win the Carabao Cup or yeah. something like that. And then, yeah, three more years, given an extension. Um, I think all of you have made some super excellent points. Uh, Jamie, to yours about who has he made better? I think at the club, Ndombele, Kane, and arguably Son. And then that's it. Everybody else has either stagnated or regressed. I think Regulon's largely as good as he was at Sevilla, which was pretty good. Um, but yeah, Son was pretty good already, though, wasn't it? That's true, but Kane has definitely taken it up another level with the new role and, and the creative input that he's been putting in. Although you could argue, you know, if you don't sell your only creative attacking midfielder uh, and then just hope that Delhi will be one, um, <laughs> maybe you kind of set yourself up for failure there. And then Kane's just happened to be talented enough to fill that fill that role. Um, and then, John, I was really fascinated by what you were talking about Bielsa, because as we all know, uh, Pochettino was a disciple of Bielsa's, and sticking with players when they're out of form is something that Pochettino always did and something that Mourinho never does. It was one of the reasons why Pochettino always wanted small squads, which is why you could say that, you know, we kept running out of steam towards the end of seasons and, you know, dealt with injuries that took us out of title contention or all that stuff during the Pochettino era. But that was intentional. He felt like he had his people and that he trusted all of them and you weren't going to get dropped just for a mistake. The opposite is now what's happening with Jose Mourinho is there is now a legitimate air quotes backup for every single player on the pitch. And if you make a mistake that leads to goal, which literally all of our defenders have done this season, you're just going to get switched out the next match for somebody else. And we used to be this like young, swashbuckling, fearless team that Deli Ali was really like the personification of when he was doing that Crystal Palace goal of juggling it over his own head uh, before smashing it into the bottom corner. And I think the biggest difference is now so many players are afraid, are afraid of making mistakes, are afraid of the ball, are afraid they're going to get dropped, are afraid that, you know, after Mourinho's legacy of winning everywhere, that they'll be the side that don't. Um, and from a side that was so based on the positivity under Poch to immediately switch to the negativity of Mourinho, I think it's been really damaging. And I'm unsurprised that players like Kane and Son, who aren't going to be dropped ever unless, you know, they're sick or hurt, um, are the ones that are unaffected by that and are still able to perform at a high level. Whereas everybody else that has a little bit of a question mark over their 
current ability and future ability and future potential are all of a sudden just all performing worse is they're just worried and fearful at all times that they're going to be the reason why we drop points and then when we do drop points and then Mourinho says stuff like this about you know it, it him only being as good as they are it puts more pressure on them that doesn't alleviate that pressure that continues to build it after the match he said that there are things in this team that I cannot resolve myself as a coach so now there's also no hope that he's going to turn it around for you it's I think it's a deeply deeply negative situation um at the club and maybe we can you know play like we did in the second half sneak the Carabao Cup make it deep in the Europa League with potentially a chance to get it and then sneak into the Champions League that way but I, I don't see how this will last long term and Steve I, I, with all that said I still agree I still think Mourinho is going to be the manager come the end of the season if we win anything I think it's incredibly likely he'll be our manager at the start of the next one but I, I don't know how to how to get this club to pull out of the nosedive that it's currently in and I can't help but feel like it's Mourinho and his kind of negativity and willingness to throw people under the bus that really started it because this was a joyful group and now everyone's depressed. You even saw during the match that Mourinho kept telling his players to pick their heads up after conceding in the first five minutes, even though we were the ones getting shots off, we were the ones creating chances, but the players were still dragging. And then obviously the the Lingard goal just killed you know, any, any real um, chance of us winning the match. We pushed hard. We might have been able to pull out the draw, but... It's 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 for me, it's a deeply mentality based issue more than anything that's happening on the pitch. I think what's happening on the pitch is a symptom of what's really happening behind the scenes at the club. No, I, I think that's absolutely right, Kev. It's confidence and self-belief. And those are the things we don't have at the moment. And you're right about the Lingard goal that killed the game. I think uh, the longer the game went on, it sounded like, you know, in the second half, we were actually started to put. Um, things together uh, and a little bit of creativity but uh, you know if you're if you don't believe that you can go out and actually turn it around um, and as you say the fear is just incredible I don't think I've I've ever seen uh, a Tottenham team play with the sort of fear that that we have going into games um, fear of failure yeah. yeah it's really bad and obviously we'll come back and talk more about Tottenham when we get back to you Steve um We'll finish up this opening section by talking about Fulham. Uh, They've now just lost three of the last 14 Premier League matches, uh, one this week. Just three points behind Newcastle now, who are currently trailing to Manchester United as we record. Do you guys think that Scott Parker and company will be able to stay up this season? I think it's become a bit of a cliche to say Fulham are improving. Um, But they certainly are. I think... um... I've certainly been guilty of writing Fulham off. I thought they were nailed on for relegation at the start of the season. Mm. But a few few months into the season, I saw absolutely nothing to suggest that was going to be wrong. Um, but fair play, they have started putting results together. What I would say is that the sort of run that we talked about, it includes results such as Fulham nil, Brighton nil, Fulham <laughs> nil, Southampton nil, Fair. Brighton nil, Fulham nil, and West Brom two, Fulham two. So they're all games that really, if they wanted to be up the table, they needed to be getting more than more than draws. Um, and and obviously the two games that they've won recently away at Everton, home to Sheffield United. Everton might have beat Liverpool at the weekend, but they've been pretty up and down lately and Sheffield United are, are awful. So I don't know how much you can read into those two wins. Um, they were lucky to get a draw at Turf Moor last week. I think Burnley knew that the gap being maintained 
was fine. Um, didn't particularly try and win that game in the second half. I feel like if we really kicked on a gear or two, that game was there to be won for us. Um, and if we'd won that game, we'd be looking at form being a point worse off and the gap to, to us certainly being a bit bigger. I think if you're a Newcastle fan, you're probably the ones that are worried at the moment because that gap has come down so much. Um, a few weeks ago, I think most people would have said the bottom three were the bottom three and that's just how it was going to be. Um, but there is normally one team that puts together a run. Um, I had it down as being West Brom because I think they've recruited quite well. Sam Allardyce obviously got this fantastic record of never having been relegated. Um, but something is coming together at Fulham. Um, I, I'm not sure how much Parker takes credit for it because it seems to have been a, a just throw everything at the wall and something will eventually work. Pretty much all their players are on loan. So there's no sense of squad building there. Every season for Fulham seems to have a completely different team. No idea what the strategy is. But yeah, fair enough. They've won a couple of games recently. I'm looking at the games coming up um, and they've got Palace away next. So that that's certainly winnable. If they win that, then the gap could be gone. But after that, they've got Spurs at home, Liverpool away, City at home, Leeds at home. So it gets tough for them after that. I'm not I'm not one for trying to count on paper wins because I think this season, more than any other season, results on paper, trying to count points before the games, it just doesn't work. But I think we're going to learn a lot about Fulham's chance in the next few weeks, put it that way. Yeah, I think in answer to your question, Fulham could stay up, but I don't think that means that that is particularly impressive, especially when you give... Uh, a, a quick perusal of the squad that they've got. Um, I'm with Jamie, you know, I think there's people have talked a lot about Fulham being better recently, but when you look at the results, as he's, as he pointed out, there's a lot of draws in there, especially against, as, as you've said, teams who are kind of in and in around the, the relegation zone. So those quote unquote uh, six pointers, they haven't even been getting results in those. And, and yeah, they've they've come away with a result at Everton and then they've scraped past Sheffield United. That could easily have ended in a, a draw that game. I think you've you've got to be um, producing better um, results than that to, to get out of this thing. And um, the fact that Newcastle are in, again, quote unquote, free fall um, isn't necessarily going to help them because, as Jamie says, that that list of teams that they're They've, they've got for the rest of the season. There's not a huge amount of uh, of fixtures where you think Fulham are definitely going to come away with the wins. There. I mean, they've got Palace coming up. That's a, a winnable game. I guess anything can happen when you play Leeds. Uh, but then looking beyond that, you're sort of looking Burnley, Southampton, Newcastle. Those are three games that, that they've got to come try and get some points out of as well. And that, other than that, it's all teams that are, are, are pretty, pretty good teams. So um, I think they could do it. It, it very much depends on what happens with Newcastle. Uh, but if Newcastle get a couple of wins out of nowhere, like they did at the beginning of the season, then uh, it's a really big hill for the, for, for Fulham to climb. I, um, I th- I'm not sure how many games they've won this season, but it's it's, it's um, certainly single-figure games. And they'll probably have to win, you know, a few more um, again to, to, to get out of this. And I'm not entirely sure that suddenly they're going to start winning games on, on a much higher um, ratio than they have been until now. So um, Scott Parker, I think, is 
an interesting manager. I think he's he's coached his team well in in the press, but I think going forward they just they they look a little bit bereft of ideas at times. They don't look particularly attacking uh, dangerous from an attacking point of view. Um, and as as Jamie pointed out as well, there's this is a squad that has had actually millions spent on it in the last five seasons or so. Um, they've still got a lot of good players on their books that they picked up on that famous doing a Fulham season um, that summer window. Um, but, you know, I don't get the impression that if this Fulham team stays up, that they're going to suddenly become like Aston Villa um, and and that second season is going to benefit them. There's a lot of questions to be asked about their squad building as well. So, yeah, I, I'm a sort of a little bit mid on on Fulham. Um, I think they, they, they could stay up, particularly with, with Newcastle falling away. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think that's a particularly impressive achievement from Scott Parker. And I don't think it's necessarily good for the long term for them either. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with both of you. I don't think it sets them up for, uh, for staying in and being on. Um, a lot, last time I was on with you, Kev, actually, we, we looked at the bottom half. Uh, and, and obviously the current bottom two are even more sunk now. But, uh, but back then we, we, we thought that any team really in the bottom seven or eight uh, could put together a bad run of, of you know, four or five games that could drag them into trouble. And Newcastle obviously are the only, only one of that group that has slipped into the, that sort of potential problems. I mean, I mean, you know, we've been talking a lot about the, the managers uh, tonight and, and Steve Bruce obviously has more experience than, than Parker for being in those sorts of circumstances, but I'm not sure that trumps the idea of, of a group of players that are enthusiastic and can see something, see the, the, the notion of accomplishing something even in the very short term. But uh, I think Jamie's absolutely right. The, the, the results that they've had against teams that are near them um, do not exactly give you give you cause that they can um, get many points from that tough run of games that's that's coming up. I mean, um, you know, they they play each other on the final day, final day of the season at Craven Craven Cottage. Uh, it, it might come down to that, but I I don't think so. I I, I would like to see them give it a good go, but uh, I'm not uh, particularly optimistic for them. All right, well, we'll leave that there. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss all right and we are back jamie we'll stick with you up front talking about burnley who have had a very interesting eight days you had a dare i say swaggery win over crystal palace and then drew fulham who we were just talking about 
and a 10-man West Brom side who looked way closer to winning than losing. Uh, why do you think there is so much inconsistency and ups and downs in this Burnley team this year, especially when kind of the external narrative is that you're a very stable side under Sean Dyche? Um, all our players are completely knackered. That's it. Uh, <laughs> they're just <laughs> so tired. They are running on fumes. Um, the Palace win, people was on Twitter were talking about it being our most complete performance in the Premier League, put it that way. I but more eye-catching wins like winning Anfield this season, beating Man United a couple of times. But in terms of a complete performance from front to back, controlling the game, um, away to Palace is probably as good as it's got. Um, but I think we've seen the, the the lack of options in the squad, the, the fact that players are playing 90 minutes every week. We can't rotate because we just don't have any players Um it's, I think that's caught up with us in the last couple of weeks. Like I say, I think the Fulham game was one that we really could and should have won. I think we were, I um, can't remember which manager said, respect the point. Um, but I think we were respecting the point too much and not realising that Fulham are pretty rubbish and should have just been beaten quite comfortably. Um, and then against West Brom, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know if I've got words for the way we played, it felt like we didn't complete a pass all game. Players just seemed incredibly leggy. Um, but then you looked at the bench and it was Phil Bardsley and two goalkeepers and kids, and that was it. So um, injuries have, have really been a challenge for us all season. Um, we probably have one of the smaller squads in the league. We didn't do a lot of business in either transfer window. I signed one player, Dale Stevens, who's injured at the moment um, and it feels like there's been four to six players out every game and we just can't we don't have the squads to stretch for that um, playing midweek weekend midweek weekend has been really really tough when I think a lot of our game is energy and running harder than the opposition and pressing really hard we've just not been able to do that in the way that we've, we've become used to so and the fact that we've got a clear midweek now, I think, is really positive. Hopefully, a couple of players will get fit. Um, but, yeah, it's um, the season's turning into a bit of a slog, to be honest. I was really upset with the, the FA Cup result going out to Bournemouth. I felt like when you've got a quarter-final in sight, it just wasn't good enough. I felt like we named a really bad team and deservedly got turned over. And I think it's been a, a bit of a hangover from that, although the Palace result was a bit of a bounce back, so... Yeah, it's tricky. Normally, you'd say you know what you're going to get from Burnley, but at the moment, you don't. <laughs> sometimes we're really good, and sometimes we are terrible. <laughs> terrible enough for you to tweet me to stop watching your match, which is still one of the <laughs> I, funnier I, things that's happened to me this season. <laughs> I would not believe you willingly watched Burnley versus West Brom. Um, I, I would be amazed if any other non-Burnley or West Brom fans were watching that game. <laughs> No redeeming quality to it at all. Yeah, do I like get a medal or something? We can talk. That, we can talk about that off air. Um, <laughs> put your place on the bench. Like, have you got any boots? <laughs> Being the team next weekend to play Spurs. Yeah, and you know I am American, so maybe the new owner would like that. Um, <laughs> we we uh, don't want to bring up too much pain and stuff, but it seems like more and more information continues to come out about the uh, purchase deal that was made by the new owners. It, are Burnley fans starting to get pretty uncomfortable with that whole situation? 
I think at the moment it's a case of a lot of people are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and just see how it goes. I think um, it helped at the end of the January transfer window that we put together three wins in a week, I think. So suddenly it didn't look like we needed a lot of players. Um, if you ask people now after draws at home to Fulham and West Brom, they'd probably say, well, actually, we needed to sign players. So just a sign of where the window falls in your form very much depends on how people view um, a lack of activity. Um, so I think he got a bit of a pass there because he was so new to the club. The Chems had COVID himself, so he was dealing with that, living in a new country. Like There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, the thing that's getting me a bit frustrated is he's not really, he still hasn't explained the leverage buyout properly. He just seems to have his mortgage analogy, which doesn't work because when you buy a house, you're not still paying the former owners of the house when they've moved out because it's not their house. That, like It just doesn't, doesn't make sense in my head. Um, and he seems to be doing a lot of press where he talks a good game, but when you actually compare the interviews, he just says the same stuff all the time. Uh, he wants Burnley to be the nation's favourite underdog. I think I've seen him say that line a dozen times in six weeks. What I would really like him to do is do an interview with a fan site or a fan podcast like the one I used to do and really stand up to some scrutiny, have someone asking some tough questions because everything that I'm reading, no one's doing that. And it's it's... I don't think it's been good enough, to be honest. Gotcha. Well, hopefully uh, that all becomes clear and that it might not be as bad as it sounds at times because it uh, it doesn't look great <laughs> from the outside looking in. Uh, we'll come to you now, John, to talk about Leeds. Um, we had talked in the offseason about some pretty exciting options that you were being linked with. Rodrigo De Paul, still one that I felt would have been perfect for you guys. But instead, you wind up with Rafinha and there was drama on that on on the French side of that deal, but you wind up getting him in. He's hit an absolute great run of form right now. Two goals and four assists in the last six matches for him, and created I think three or four big chances in that last match that you wind up uh, wound up losing to Wolves. Uh, what do you think led to this kind of surge from him? Is he just finally finding his feet under Bielsa, or I think he's a like, just a great player. We've we've done really well to pick up. Um, we've been really lucky to pick pick him up for us as cheap as we have. And I think a lot of Leeds fans are, are basically picking on the narrative that we're not going to keep him for that long. You know, he's that good that he'll be, he'll be picked up by a champions league club at some point. So yeah, it's been great to see him play. He's um, a player who is a really real creative talent. You've mentioned already that he got uh, a number of, uh, he created a number of big chances in the last game. They were mainly from um, set pieces, uh, but we've been terrible at set pieces for, the whole of the the Bielsa era, so it's been nice to have someone come in who who puts whipped balls in that are just really dangerous and uh, it's it, it's not obviously not just his set piece ability. There's he's also very very uh, he's very very good at ball carrying. He's very he's a very very good passer of the ball as well. And between those two things, playing out in the wide areas, uh, drifting inside as well, he's he's just been a, a bit of a revelation for us. So um, I think that one comes down to the Victor Orta in the recruitment department, really. But um, in a Bielsa system, he's been thriving. Yeah, so you kind of uh, mentioned it there. There are already lots of rumors out there of which club in the Champions League is going to be the one to try to buy him. Is this a situation where you think you would be willing to sell for some 
mega fee or that you might be more insistent on just holding him for at least a, another full year? Yeah, it's, it's, I guess, an interesting one because the owner of the club, uh, Andrea Rodrizzani, has been talking about Leeds adopting a model similar to Leicester City, uh, which would suggest that if someone came in for a bid for Rafinha, they probably would um, sell him on. Um, that remains to be seen. We're still at a bit of a, um, a bit of a crux phase, really, with Leeds. And insofar as we have a really, really thin squad, we don't have depth anywhere, really. And we've we've struggled with injuries as well this, this season. I think um, for the last couple of weeks, I think every player that we'd brought in um, including Rafinha was injured at one point, um, which isn't ideal for your for your signings. But I think they'll probably try and keep him on for another season at least. But then it'll be it'll be him moving on, and I guess that's when the rubber hits the road as to whether or not the club are going to go down this route where they're going to be looking to buy low and sell high and and sort of get some kind of momentum uh, as a squad that way. Um, I don't have a problem with that. I quite like the uh, Leicester City model, and I think if I think the fan base kind of think that we are going to be able to just uh, piggyback off the fact that we have these these um, this investment um, arm of uh, the 49ers coming in and and putting money into the club. That that's suddenly going to mean that we're going to start competing with the the top six. I just think that's a pipe dream. So I think if Leeds are going to be able to get anywhere, it's going to be as a, a club that can create value and then can can slowly um, can slowly chip away at those outside European places and maybe get get that every once in a while. I think very much the same model that, that the new owners at Burnley are, are claiming that they want to do as well. So I think that's the way forward now in the Premier League. You're only going to be able to break into those top uh, European spaces by having a, a smart approach to, to the business. Mm, and getting 80 million for Harry Maguire. Try to, try to do the, those deals when you can. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, at the beginning of the season, you weren't super optimistic about um, ensuring safety for Leeds. At this point, you're basically a win and a draw away from getting it. Compared to the start of the offseason to where you are now, how has the season compared between the two? Yeah, I think I I was always sort of quite pessimistic in many respects insofar as I was aware of how thin our squad was. I was aware of, of just the depth and quality between our squad and a lot of other squads in the Premier League. Um, and, you know, had there been certain injuries in certain in certain positions, I'm not sure we would have done quite so well. If we'd have lost Bamford, for example, that would have been a big loss. Um, and we've just about had enough central defenders to, to get through having a number of them out at various times. Um, now I'm I'm feeling pretty confident. I think we've we we're well worth our mid-table finish, and I think we probably still will finish mid-table. Um, mainly because we got the results that we needed to get, and there's been very few results really where I felt that we haven't got the result that we deserved. Um, I think against Wolves, perhaps we could have we were a bit unlucky to lose both of those to deflected. Um, shots going in um, uh, and elsewhere I think results have almost pretty much gone as expected I thought we were quite lucky to get a win against Burnley in, 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 incidentally but uh, that's another story for another podcast but um, I think we've just about done everything that we needed to do to to get where we need to be and I think we've we've been quite fortunate in our in our results yes we've had the famous sort of rollover and dies against some of the bigger clubs but we've got the results against teams like Newcastle um when, when we've needed them to to make that not too much of an issue so I'm, I'm pretty pleased with where we're at 
Nice. Well, yeah, certainly look forward to annoying you next year about potentially coming back on the <laughs> show, uh, since it's pretty clear you're going to be in the Premier League yet again. Uh, Steve, we'll come to you now to talk about Tottenham, as if we didn't uh, already spend half of the Open doing so. But um, we were top of the table in December, and then took 16 out of the next 48 available points. Worse form than Pochettino was in, worse form than AVB was in, worse form, obviously, than Sherwood was in when all three were let go or replaced. How much longer do you think we should stick with Mourinho? If money wasn't a factor, which it absolutely is, $15 million a year for a voided contract, how much do you think we should be standing by Mourinho at this time? Or is it starting to feel like the, the, the next time Tottenham are going to play well is going to be under someone else? I fear exactly what you just said, Kevin, that, that we need some kind of, you know, reorganization, rebirth or whatever, you know, to, to, to just to shake us out of this, this malaise, um, this sense of a, a lack of self-belief. And we talked about it a little bit earlier and how much influence the coach actually has on uh on the, on the squad, and, and and that spills over into uh, into how the the interaction between the fans and the and the team is. Uh, there was a tweet earlier on today that basically just said, "Look, you know, if if this was a regular season and the fans were in were in were in the stands, uh, Jose would be would be sacked already." I, I I don't agree with that necessarily. I I think there are a range of factors uh, that the the fact that, we, as we talked about, that, that Daniel Levy wanted Mourinho all along and the timing of that and how Pochettino left and the fact that um, Arsenal were about to, to apparently about to, to snap up Mourinho made that, the way in which that happened inevitable. But it was it was very much a vanity hire. I mean, he, he always did, did want uh, Jose to run his team to, to give that sort of sense that we had arrived somehow that we were we were a bigger club than we actually were and and then of course you know with 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 the pandemic and the economics of the game changing completely and the fact that we have this this brand new stadium that we we can't actually sell tickets for i mean it's 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 like a perfect storm of economic problems uh essentially that um if you said if if money was no object, um, how long would he how long would he still be here? I I would imagine that uh, they would give him until the end of the season, and then there would be a serious conversation about about where things go after that. They're certainly I don't think they they would make a move while he's still uh, in with a chance of winning the Europa League and and uh, and keeping his record going in that. They're certainly not going to replace him ahead of a ahead of a cup final. Um, so, you know, in, in, in a strange way that the decisions are taken out of your hands, um, by, uh, by circumstances. And I, I, it'll be interesting to see what happens at the end of the season, but, um, if they keep him on for the, for the additional year of his contract, how much money do they actually give him to rebuild? We don't have that much. Mm. Let's, let's be frank, you know? Um, so I'm not sure that the long-term prognosis is 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 particularly encouraging, um, but it, it's it, it's come down to that you said that that contrast between the top of the when we were at the top of the league and you and I had the conversation and I said look you know if we're still in the top four by the first of January, um, you know that's the time maybe to talk about 
the, the potential of maybe getting back into the Champions League. Uh, I don't think even even the, the hardest uh, Mourinho devotee would would even contemplate the fact that we would we we were legitimate title challengers at that stage. Um, but yeah, I, we'll get to the end of the season. Um, we'll actually see whether that statue gets built. <laughs> right. And then uh, I was on the show last week talking about uh, how I was finally worried that Kane and or son might leave, that they probably won't stick around for another regime. Is that your read on the situation as well? Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Uh, and, and really who could blame them? Uh, I mean, let's, let's be honest. I mean, my, my, one of my favorite Spurs players was Teddy Sheringham. And actually, I was uh, overjoyed at the fact that he actually won the sort of medals that his talent deserved in the end. Um, I was just annoyed that he did it at Manchester United, you know. Uh, who, who would begrudge Harry uh, going to PSG if you believe the, the, the stories this week about, um, you know, Poch is uh, looking at uh, what happens with Mbappe and, and Neymar at the end of the season and uh, whether or not um, Harry is uh, his preference. Uh, again, with the economics of the game being up in the air, it's going to be really hard to uh, to resist a, a big bid, uh, whether Mourinho's here or not. Um, and, and you mentioned earlier about uh, Kane and Son were really the only players that we have who kind of transcend that um, that sense of foreboding or that mm. sense of fear to have. I think they're the only ones that we have who are, who are totally, and, and probably Hugo Lloris as well, who are totally confident in their own abilities that they will succeed no matter who their boss is, no matter who's yelling the uh, the instructions from the sidelines. But it comes down to, for players like that, it comes to down to being happy in your personal situation. And would Harry be happier in Paris? Would he be happier winning? Would he be happier being reunited with, with Poch? Uh, it's it's hard to say, but you leave you to draw your own conclusions from that one. Um, yeah, I mean, if we are headed for this kind of total reorganization, whether that extends to new ownership, for example, I mean, there, I know there's always gossip about that. Um, uh, you have to expect that there will be a certain turnover of uh, of, the, of the star players, uh, the ones who have the inherent value, the innate value that that uh, that could move on and do do a job for for any other top ranking team in 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 Europe. And, you know, as I say, it comes down to the confidence that the players have in their own ability and their own ability to succeed no matter uh, what their what their club situation is. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think an awful lot of Spurs fans are resigned to the fact that if if we have another barren season um, and and things don't seem to be heading, you know, in the, in the right direction. I mean, w- would you begrudge Harry uh, moving on? Certainly not. Mm. Yeah, it will certainly be a sad day if and when he ends up leaving. And I, I do fear that while not many clubs have the finances to pull off a move like signing Harry Kane, uh, if they just PSG probably already have the money. And if they had Mbappe or Neymar money on top of that, they're probably one of the right. few places he could actually wind up. Uh, speaking of players, I figure we'll finish up with player watch here. Just curious from each of you, a player at your club that starts regularly that uh, maybe shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from from my point of view, players he started just the ones that can run at the moment so it's a 
difficult one. For a while, I thought our worst player was Matt Lowton, but then the goal that he scored at Crystal Palace should be winning the Pushkas Award, I think, probably. <laughs> so, <laughs> give him a bit of a pass on that one. Um, at the moment, Jay Rodriguez is starting, even though he's in the worst form of his professional career, um, just because our other strikers are injured. Massive fan of Jay Rod. Um, a, a month ago, I'd have probably said he's our best striker in terms of all-round play, but I don't know what's going on with him. It's just not happening. Um, I don't know if he's carrying an injury and having to play because there's no other options or what, but um, yeah, he's gone from being one of the first names on the sheet for me to when he's playing, I'm like, oh God, because it's just not working out for him right now. It would be uh, harsh of me to really call out any Leeds players, I think, because it's 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 great that we've even able to get to the place that we've got with the with the players that we have but um we do have a couple of players i suppose here and there who you might you might want to see um not on the starting 11 i mentioned Gianni Alioski before and again like it's hard, harsh to say he probably shouldn't be starting because we we literally don't have any left backs and he's not even a left back he is technically a left winger by trade um and so um, Gianni Alioski, I think, is not long for, for the Leeds United starting eleven, but he will be around the club uh, here and there um, in the future. But that's very much because we just don't have the, the, the personnel to be able to replace him as, as things stand. So I'd probably say him. Um, and yeah, other than that, I think every player has really justified their place this season. And um, it's a real testament to Bielsa that he can get so much out of, out of each of the players in the squad. Uh, I think I would probably say that with the uh, requirements of the rotation system, the number of games that we're playing, uh, I can see the justification for playing different lineups at different times. Uh, Mourinho seems to love uh, Lamella's unpredictability, uh, and 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 he's mm. certainly a gifted player. But whenever I see him on the team sheet, all all I see is a near certain yellow card. And um, you know we're we're in a, a scrap at the moment, and we need players who can concentrate on uh, unlocking opponents by by playing to a game plan rather than relying on a flash of genius. Um, I mean, right now I, I think I would I would pick Bergwijn or 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 Bale over. But obviously, I don't pick the team, and Mourinho does. Um, I think it's it's past, well past time to rethink Dyer and Sanchez at the mm. back. I mean, I I like what I've seen of Roden uh, so far, and I was really hoping that playing alongside Toby would 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 bring him along. But but he has to get a, a, a good run of games. Uh, I also really like Jaffa Tanganga, and I hope um, I hope he'll be a regular before before too long. But uh, but Jose seems to want. Uh, him to play it to play it right back, so it'll be interesting to see how how that plays out when Aurier's back in the mix. Yeah, I'm really worried that we're screwing over Tanganga's development, thinking he's a wing back and a center back, the same yeah. way we did with Dio, thinking he was a center back and a defensive midfielder, and instead he just wound up not being particularly great at either. Uh, you mentioned as part of that partnership the player that I I would pick, which is Davinson Sanchez, who has started ten games and conceded fifteen goals and has one clean sheet on the season. Uh, I'm not saying that the other defenders at our club are faultless by any stretch, but he was a super promising, highly talented player when we bought him from Ajax, and he hasn't developed an ounce since he came to the club. 
And it's just really, really embarrassing. And he still has two fatal flaws in his game, which is he's incapable of reading the flight path of a football, and he never knows when anybody is on his back shoulder. And these if people that listen to this are probably tired of me complaining about this about Devinson Sanchez, but that's largely my point. These have been issues since day one that just were never improved upon. And uh, his recent performances certainly have uh, convinced more people than previously that it's uh, his time at the club probably needs to come to an end sooner rather than later. Um, we will wrap up on that Davinson Sanchez slander. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening. If indeed you still are, um, I've been Jamie Smith. Chat about Burnley on my Twitter, which is at Jamie Smith Sport. I'm John McKenzie, and my personal Twitter is John underscore McKenzie. And um, the lead stuff that I put out is done under the moniker of All Stats Aren't We, which is at All Stats Aren't We on Twitter as well. And uh, I'm Steve McGookin, and you can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin, uh, or you can get the New York Spurs at uh, nyspurs.com. And if you want to follow any of my non-football writings, you can get it at northernslant.com. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Obviously, this is the EPL Roundtable. You just listened to a whole episode of it. Hopefully, you knew that. Uh, It's at EPL Roundtable on Twitter, and you can also find it on all of the podcasting sites. But again, clearly, you have already done so. Uh, Thanks to you three so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. being a little extra can be a bit much but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra and united healthcare makes it easy with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company they supplement your primary plan helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods so when it comes to covering your medical bills you can feel good about being a little extra visit uh1.com to find the health protector guard plan for you